As we started our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, I kind of chose the title really for this whole series based on this particular chapter. Because one of the things that we deal with, one of the things that we wrestle with, and I think we wrestle with it probably the hardest of all the practical things in our Christian lives, is where do we go when the world says one thing and our Bible says another? How do we respond to that? And we're getting to a couple of very difficult studies here the next couple of weeks, tonight not so much, next week, and then uh, its companion as we dig into the middle verses here in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, this incredible statement that Paul's going to make next week. Uh, And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And to precede it, He begins with Christians in court, and we'll cover that tonight. We'll pick up actually the first uh, seven verses here in 1 Corinthians 6. And so I want to invite you, if you have friends, if you have family, if you have people that you know that have a strong opinion about where the church ought to stand on the issue of homosexuality, uh, I encourage you to be here next Thursday night and bring them. Uh, I intend to tackle it head on. Uh, I I believe that at the end of the evening, I think people will be uh, both encouraged and challenged, but your Bible is not silent on this subject. And unfortunately, the church uh, has begun to go the wrong direction uh, and has taken a stand that frankly is unsupportable with Scripture. And so uh, next week, a study that I've entitled, Who's In and Who's Out?, Uh, And the Bible actually does give us some guidelines, actually tells us what we could look for in the life of a believer and what we could consequently look for in the life of someone who does not know the Lord. And so a couple of exciting studies here coming up tonight, Christians and court. So if you turn to chapter 6 and verse 1, we'll pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we thank you. For your word, Lord, doesn't leave us in the place that much of the world says it does. Lord, it doesn't leave us just lingering out there in no man's land. You have been very specific on an awful lot of issues, and tonight is no exception to that. And we pray that as we read and study and prepare our hearts to receive your word, that, Lord, it's supposed to be engrafted into us, Lord, that your word becomes a part of who we are. We are supposed to be doers and livers of it. Lord, our our lives are supposed to be marked and bounded uh, by what your your word declares our lives should be. And so, Lord, we give you tonight, and we pray that you administer to us through the power of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. What do you do when you have a legal issue, and that legal issue is between two brothers, two sisters, a brother and a sister, two people who love the Lord. And I can tell you as much as I would like for this to never happen, it happens all too frequently. And a vast majority of the time, it is handled absolutely contrary to the plain teaching of the Bible. Very often we see Christians acting absolutely no better than the world. And in fact, we see the Christians sometimes acting worse than people in the world do. 
And so tonight we'll tackle the subject. Before we uh, speak a few words, I want to share with you just the first two verses. And it says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, and again he's speaking to the church, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Paul's saying, look, it's bad enough that when I began to speak to you about these difficult things, that there was someone in the church who was named a brother who was being sexually intimate with his own mother. That was hideous enough. Now he turns his attention to what would have been a fairly difficult situation uh, in our day and time and remains difficult uh, in our day and time, but it was difficult then because you had a Roman world and a Roman court system. And so for a little bit of background, just slightly after this was written, there was a Roman orator named Aristides, and he gave us a little insight in his book called Orations, about the court system at the time. And he said this, bragging basically about the Roman court system. And sometimes we brag about our American court system because, frankly, it is the best that there is in the world, but it also is not without problems. And it certainly is not perfect by any shake of the imagination Innocent people are often found guilty. Guilty people often go innocent. Matters that should be clear and plain uh, are decided in a way that doesn't seem to indicate they're clear and plain. And frankly, very ungodly things have been passed by our court system. And so writing at that day and time, there's an abundant and beautiful equality of the humble with the great and of the obscure with the illustrious, and above all, the poor man with the rich, and the commoner with the noble. That was Aristides talking about the Roman court system. And one could say, if you were to talk to people about our court system, they would probably say that the problem is it's not actually true. It's supposed to be true. Everyone is supposed to have an equal standing in a court of law. But it's very clear that all don't have an equal standing in a court of law. And so the court system then and the court system now is often prejudiced in some way, shape, or form, and here's why. It is a government institution, and not everyone in it is walking with the Lord. Not everyone in it sees things from a biblical perspective. Not everyone in it, though there are wonderful Christian judges, there are wonderful non-Christian judges. There, there are people in our court system, there are certainly wonderful, godly, gifted attorneys who practice law and they are meticulous at being fair and equitable to all. But there are also a lot of people in the court system whose job it is basically to see how much money they can get out of both parties. And so the court system is not a great place, it's not a good place, it's not the place for two believers to take a matter 
that they should be able to resolve between the two of them because they're going to spend eternity with one another. And so it would be a good thing if we started to get along right here, right now. Amen? And so he's beginning to kind of chastise the church, and I want to avoid doing that to you tonight, but rather to say that we need to think about these things. Because I have sat with Christians trying to mediate simple things like fender bender accidents, inheritances. I have sat with people because someone damaged someone else's home. I have sat with people who both claim to be Christians where they hired a Christian contractor and they are Christians and that Christian contractor failed to perform and the first thing that the person did was run to the courts. And they weren't just seeking damages, they were seeking to penalize the person who lost their employees who couldn't finish the work. And so I think it's important for us to kind of take a step back and look at this in a perspective that is absolutely still very visible in our world. The claim here of Aristides, while it's flattering to the judges, wasn't true. Because the illustrious, those with money during Roman times, absolutely fared way better in the Roman court system. If you could afford to hire testimony, you did so. If you could afford to hire the greatest orator, you did so. Sound familiar? Very often, people with simply the the biggest hand on the front side uh, ends up with the most money at the back side. And so, Paul is beginning to speak to us on an issue, and he says, having a lawsuit, he uses a couple of very unusual Greek words, they're only used a couple of times in the entire New Testament, and it's two words, and it's pragma ashon, and that simply means that which is a matter of pragmatism, or what we would call a civil issue. So this is not talking about criminal things. This is not someone, you know, heaven forbid, murdered someone. This is, not a, this is not a case of rape or child molestation. This is somebody ran over your ox and you lost your ox. And that was your best ox. It was the one who hauled your cart. And you were, you were down in your ability to farm your land because it also hauled your plow. This was a civil issue. And so in civil cases, Paul's basically saying, how dare any of you having a case against another, another brother, another sister, take that case to the world for judgment who are ungodly and not before the saints. Can't you basically, what he's saying is, find a couple of Christian brothers and sisters who can help you get through this issue without going to court, without wasting your time, your effort, your energy, and ruining the reputation of both the church and, even worse yet, the Lord himself. And so he begins by fleshing this out a little bit for us. What was he trying to say? You see, Paul's basic conviction here was that things ought to be settled in the church if they can be settled in the church, that they don't necessarily always have to become an issue of a lawsuit. And I can't tell you how grievous it is to sit down with people and try and mediate things that if either one of the parties would simply put down their war axe, if they would drop the things that they're, they're, they have just stuck in their craw, 
and get down to the basics of it. How many of you in here who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ believe you're saved by grace? Amen? Is that not unmerited favor? How many of you also believe that you're children of God's mercy? Raise your hand. That means you do not receive what you have earned. How many of you in here believe you're going to heaven because you have been forgiven all of your sin? Hallelujah. Do you you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here? How dare you, people of grace? How dare you, people of mercy? How dare you, people of forgiveness? How dare you forget in dealing with your brother and sister what you have received from the Lord? He's saying you should be thinking about who you are in Christ before you think about what you have stewardship over on this earth. It would solve a lot of problems. When we look at our brothers and sisters as needing mercy because we need mercy, needing grace because we need grace, needing forgiveness because we need forgiveness, which is, by the way, the context of the Beatitudes, is it not? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Amen? You, you, you see, the, the stakes are high because we're telling the world with our actions what is really important to us as the body of Christ. And if what is really important to us is getting some money over destroying someone's character overseeing to it that they pay the penalty for what they have done. And, and let me be clear here, I'm not saying there shouldn't be restitution, but that restitution should be restitution in grace and restitution in mercy and restitution in forgiveness. Paul's not saying you shouldn't have your car replaced if somebody hit it. That's not what he's saying. Paul's not saying if, if, if somebody causes you harm, that they shouldn't repay that harm. But what he's saying is if they back into your car and put a dent in it, you shouldn't be able to retire the following month. You understand what I'm saying? You see, the world is saying, well, you know, I can get you about $3 million for that. And God's saying, no, you should probably get the dent fixed in your car. Someone who knows the Lord and loves the Lord is going to look at that situation and go, You deserve to have your dent fixed in your car, but it was an accident. And you shouldn't shame the name of the Lord. You shouldn't defraud your brother by taking more than you really are entitled to by going to the courts and getting anything you possibly can out of it. I want to tell you, I know personally a number of people who profess to be Christians who basically have been living off of lawsuits for a good percentage of their life. They went out in front of somewhere and slipped on something and they bruised their tailbone. Or or they went out and they had some kind of product liability and they ended up with a whole bunch of money because their car was a lemon. I happen to know a person who was rear-ended at five miles an hour and got over a million dollars. We should not 
be doing that kind of stuff. Am I clear? It shames the Lord. Because the moment you say you're a Christian and you're willing to do things the world's way, you compromise the integrity of our Lord. And you shame your own witness. And Paul's going to get to that in a minute. He's going to kind of put a little bit of a guilt trip on him. So what's Paul really saying? He's, he's saying basically what the Old Testament said. Back in Exodus chapter 21, it was interesting because the, the Jewish people were actually forbidden from even going to a Gentile court because there was an assumption that there was ungodliness in the Gentile court. And he says, it'd be better that you died basically than subject yourself to ungodliness. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do that, by the way, and neither is the Lord. But he was kind of saying, look, holiness matters. Righteousness matters. Godliness matters. Your character matters. The choices you make before the Lord matter. And so he's not saying you should never go to court. But he, and some people use this text as a way in legalism to say no Christian should ever go to court for any reason. And that's not what it's saying. But it is saying for us as believers, going to court ought to be very, very, very rare. And it ought to be the court of last resort. Everything else should be tried before you get there. Mediation, arbitration, go out to dinner, do something. But don't make court the first thing. And so let's unwrap the rest of these verses. And he, so he ends verse 2 by saying, If the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now he's referring to a time, and this is very important for you to remember, that your Bible says that we are going to rule and reign with Christ one day. Rule and reign. That means, in essence... When the Lord rules in the millennial reign and followed by the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to be joint heirs, co-rulers. We'll actually be telling the angels what to do. And I'm not talking about the baseball team. <laughs> You're going to be going, um, Gabriel, could you go over there and get that, uh, take care of that? There's something going on. You're going to be ruling and reigning with the Lord in that sense. And so because the Holy Spirit is in you right now today, and because you are joint heirs with Christ right now today, in the smallest matters you would think we ought to be able to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, through prayer and counsel of godly people to make these decisions in a way that honors the Lord. And so he ends by saying that. And now notice how he picks up in verse 3. Do you not know, notice he says this multiple times, he's going to say it six times total in this chapter, that we shall judge the angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? He said, if you're going to one day be able to judge rightly, two angels are going at it someplace in the millennial reign, and there, there, there's a couple of things going on, you're going to actually have the discernment to discern in the heavenlies. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? 
And I want to speak to you in just a minute about the choices that we make for those who rule over us. And he's referring to why would we take and allow ourselves to be willingly subjected to people that we know are not going to judge righteously? You see, in a court of law with a penal matter, with a criminal matter, you do not have a choice. You've been arrested, you've been incarcerated. You don't have a choice as to whether you're going to take that to the court or not. It's going to happen to you because you messed up. But you do have a choice when it's a civil matter. In other words, you can actually choose who you'd like to have judge it. And he's saying, why would you want to take that to the world? Why would you subject yourself as a child of God to potentially ungodly rulers when you don't have to? It's another way to interpret it. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who is able to judge between his brethren? Don't you have somebody inside of the church here at Corinth or maybe here at South Bay that can put a couple of people in a room and not let them out until a godly decision has been agreed to by all, is what he's saying. That somebody could stand in for the Lord and say, look, let's take out God's word, let's look at the situation, and let's come to a conclusion rather than put this in the courts where the only one who's going to get wealthy is likely going to be the attorney's. And again, this is no bash whatsoever. I know one of my dearest friends in the whole earth is a Christian attorney. But I can pretty much guarantee you that once it gets into the court system, and that's what Paul is saying, you're at the mercy of the court. It's going to go the way the system allows it to go. You're only going to get so many appeals. You're only going to get so much testimony, so much deposition. And then ultimately, an ungodly judge will end up being... You could have two Christian attorneys. Now, hear me well. You can have two Christian attorneys who fully have in view, we need to resolve this. Let's come to some kind of agreement. But they may end up presenting their Christian case, as well-prepared as it may be, before a non-Christian judge. And so you may still get a non-Christian judgment. You, you may get a judgment that's not honoring the Lord in any way, shape, or form, even though there were two believers that started the suit, there were two believing attorneys that prepared the two sides of the suit, plaintiff and defendant, and now it goes to the world. And you have a choice in a civil matter. So he says, I say this to your shame. Isn't there somebody wise that you could talk to? But no, a brother goes to the law against a brother and that before unbelievers. And now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. Why do you rather not accept wrong? Now, I want you to know what that says. It would actually be better if you just were taken advantage of than to stain the name of the Lord. Everybody's sitting in here, I ain't doing it. Not happening. Nobody's going to take advantage. That's because the world has crept into our thinking. 
The world has crept into our thinking. Let me, anybody in here tell me who Jehovah Jireh is? It's the Lord God, isn't it? So don't you think if someone actually defrauds you that the Lord God of heaven and earth, the one who owns the sheep, the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold and silver in every mine, the earth and the fullness of it belongs to him, do you not think if you handle something that is wrong and done to you, in a righteous way, and someone gets an advantage over you, even though they're named a believer, and they get it. Don't you think God is able to take care of that issue? Don't you think he can return to you whatever it is that needs to be returned to you? And in fact, your Bible says that the gold of the wicked is actually reserved for the righteous. So no matter what happens, ultimately, we get it all everything, because it belongs to our Heavenly Father. We are part of His kingdom, and when we exit this planet, everything that He has, we have. So the problem is only what's here. And so we focus in on these things that, yes, they're valuable, and yes, they're problematic, and yes, they hurt, and yes, you've been wrong. There's no question about any of that. The question is, what misery are you going to subject yourself to 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 try and get to a place that ultimately is not going to actually fix the problem because the last thing in the world you want to do is shame the name of the Lord and chances are you are not going to get full restitution for anything that happens to you because that's the way the system works here on this earth. Just like Aristides was saying, it favors the rich. People who can hire better attorneys generally get favored. And again, I'm not slamming our system, and I am not slamming attorneys in any way, shape, or form, nor judges. I'm simply saying that's the way the system ultimately does favor people. It favors those who already have. It does. It's not supposed to, but it does. You all know that Lady Liberty is blindfolded, right? She's supposed to be completely blind. She's supposed to have the scales of justice. And it's equal on both sides. Anybody think that's actually the case? I wish it were, but it's not. People lie. People cheat. People steal. People defraud. Why? Because they're people. And without the influence of the Lord in their lives, bad things happen. That's wisdom. That's you recognizing we live in a fallen world in the best country on planet Earth, in the state that everyone else in the world wants to live in. I personally sometimes question their judgment, but everybody wants to live here. When Connie and I lived in Austria, every time someone would find out we're from California, you're from California? Have you ever seen Disneyland? Yeah. Have you ever met Mickey Mouse? Yes. You ever been to Yosemite? Yes. Have you been to a ghost town in all of Europe? It's like, you have ghost towns in California, right? Westerns are a big deal in Europe. Everybody wants to live here, but it's not perfect. We have a few crazy folks in our state. Amen? That's just acknowledging the truth. We, we got a few folks that there are a few pieces of meat shy of a sandwich, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. It doesn't always work out perfectly. And if it's in the world, you can count on it not working out perfectly. 
It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Romans 13 actually says that our government is, is here because God ordained it. So, so we don't have any choice, but we do have a choice as to when we must submit ourselves to it. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. If you don't have to go there, don't go there. If you're not forced into that situation, then don't choose that situation as the first course of action. And unfortunately, people listen to television, they listen to, they read news articles, and they see the same thing the world sees, and they see, well, this is how I'm going to get out of my mortgage. Or, or they see, this is how I'm going to get caught up because my, I wasn't paid well enough at my job. And I will tell you this, so many times I talk to Christians, and they have come into some kind of windfall like that, and a few years later, there's not a penny to show for it because it was ill-gotten gains. And your Bible says ill-gotten gains cannot be kept. They're unrighteous. And so if you get something in an unrighteous way through an unrighteous process, through an unrighteous judge, through an unrighteous system, you can count on you still don't have anything. It only looks like you do. But you bought into the world system, and now you're going to pay the price for doing that. It's not worth it. Kind of what I'm saying here is, thanks, Captain Obvious. It's pretty clear what God is saying. Don't do it. If you don't have to, don't do it. But that's not all God is saying. And so why would God care about this? He, he instills and installs government. He, he gives us a, a sense that we need those things for the public good, and we do. Anybody that thinks that anarchy is the way to go, all you need to do is read a little bit of world history. Anarchy does not work. Oligarchy does not work. Socialism does not work. Communism does not work. The only thing that's kind of sort of worked has been democracy, and we are one of the very few nations on the entire earth that have a truly democratic system. As messed up as it is at times, it is still democratic where you actually have a voice in it. And God's allowed us to have that. So have a godly voice in it. Exercise your right to be a Christian above everything else. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they put something above being a Christian. And it can be some type of affiliation. It, it can be, sometimes it's race. Sometimes it's even their position in this world. It's like God comes in second or third or fourth. But we are Christians first. It's the supreme relationship. In other words, it's God, then you, then your spouse, then your children. It is a pyramid that spreads out as a result of the relationship that you personally have with God. You're a Christian first, and then other things. Don't change that order when it comes to money and possessions and things that aren't quite going the way you think they should go. Stay a believer first, is what Paul's saying here. 
He's saying, look, if, if you have an opportunity, you want these things decided, in essence, by letting God have his way in it. And why would God actually care about this particular issue? So I've actually had people, well, God doesn't care about it. It's just worldly possessions. God doesn't care. Yes, he does. He cares about what you eat. He cares about what you drink. He cares that you have a roof over your head. He cares about your clothes. That's why your Bible says, with food and clothing, raiment, with these things, be content. God does care. So he cares about your basic, your daily needs. He cares about the possessions that are in your stewardship. He cares about them. But he does not care about them more than he cares about people. More than he cares about his witness in the world. More than he cares about what people think about his character. You see, he wants us to keep his character intact. And so God definitely cares, and you can kind of see a little bit of it if we were to describe Christian tort reform, it's right here. If the judge and jury in that sense are not Christians, how sensitive do you think they're going to be to Christian values? Let me help you answer that for yourselves. Look at our state government. Look at what's going on in our state. That's not a whole bunch of Christians deciding Christian moral values that we have up in our state house. Amen? Same thing's happening in our national arena as well, our federal government. And again, I'm not bashing our form of government. Please, please be very clear on this. I am proud to be an American. I love the fact that we get a, a chance to have our input into this process, and we must seize the opportunity to do so. But the fact of the matter is, you can pretty much guarantee that you are not going to get a Christian shake when you go into a non-Christian court situation. Amen? So Paul's just saying, look, be sensible about this. You want to reform the legal system, then keep it in-house is what he's saying. If you can keep it before the Lord between a bunch of believers, you can apply godly principles throughout the course of the negotiations. Unfortunately, people who are believers, who profess to be believers, go to the courts for the same reasons that people who don't know the Lord go to court. They want restitution. But in seeking restitution, sometimes it becomes retribution. They just want a pound of flesh. Because what happens when you go to a non-Christian system with a bunch of Christians, it doesn't start working out, so what do you do? You yourself get in the flesh. You start responding with anger, bitterness, hatred, vanity. You, you, your, your pride wells up. How many of you in here love to be a loser? <laughs> Hallelujah. Not a hand went up. Yeah, nobody likes to lose, amen? It's like, yeah, I'm going to join the most horrible sports team I can possibly be on because I just love losing. No, we, we want to win. So what happens when you get into a fleshly situation with ungodly people and both sides want to win? What, do you, what weapons do you think people start using? They start using the flesh. And so because we like to win... All of a sudden, you're using the same weapons that people who don't know Jesus use. You're kind of fudging on the facts a little bit. You're overstating your case. Because here's what's happened on the other side. They've made a case, and it's not 
godly, so now you've got to make an equal case because the whole object is you've got to win. And so now you're saying things you shouldn't say. I can't believe how many times people will come to me and they'll in essence say, well, I kind of sort of need to lie about this. Flip to the end of your Bible, last couple of verses of the book of Revelation, and all liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you've got to lie about it, it's not of the Lord for you as a believer. If you've got to exaggerate it, it's not for you as a believer. And if you won't do that where you can control it inside our own house, what do you think is going to happen when it goes to God, outside of God's house and goes to the courthouse? You're going to truly be compromised. So God does care about these things. We shouldn't act this way. We shouldn't be after revenge. We shouldn't be looking for retribution. Restitution, yes. Fairness, yes. Replacement, yes. But to make an extra couple of mil because somebody bashed your iron god in your driveway? No. No. That's not right before the Lord. Lawsuits, when they're unfair like that, make God look bad. Because here's what happens, and I've witnessed this in the ministry. And let me be very clear, and I'm not going to name names, obviously. I have watched churches sue each other. Churches sue each other over things like, now we wrote that song. Uh Uh-uh, we wrote that song. It's a worship song. Who's the song for? And you got two churches in court arguing over whose song it is. It's his song. Somebody should have stepped up and gone, You can have it. Because I'll tell you what, God's never going to use it to worship his holy name as you have covered it with dirt now. I've seen it. I've been involved in some of those things. It's like, I can't believe we're actually going to do this. I've seen churches sue each other over property. Well, that belongs to us. No, it doesn't. I've seen church splits where they want to literally put a wall through the middle of the facility and the legalists are on this side and the libertines are on that one. Well, we ain't going there. We don't like the new pastor. If you don't like the new pastor, let me tell you how to get rid of me. Pray me out. God listens. If he doesn't want me here, all you got to do is start praying. Trust me, he's able I'm not suggesting that you all are thinking that, but if you are, (laughs) if you are, he's bigger than I am, okay? I have zero control over the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But people go, well, you know, I've got to go to court over it. No, you don't. You can go to God over it because God wants restoration and reconciliation. The long and the short of this, families, we're better than this. The lesson is we are better than this. It's beneath our dignity to take the things that we ought to be able to decide between ourselves. It's beneath our dignity in the Lord to drag them into a pagan situation and saying, we can't figure it out, you do it. 
And again, please remind yourselves of what I've already said. I'm not saying that under any certain terms that you can't ever use the court system. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying it ought to be so monumentally rare that people would look at it and go, well, that just never happens. That's what Paul's saying. How dare you? We're going to reign with him. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If we endure, we will reign with him. Revelation 20, we will reign with him as priests and kings. If we're capable of running the heavens, shouldn't we be capable of deciding some business matters? Resolving a property line dispute. Getting over something that costs too much. You, you had a contract and there were overages on it. You know, coming from a contracting world myself and knowing many of you are in that business, man, we run into stuff all the time. All the time. I, I've had people when I was in business look me in the eye and say, I'm not paying you. Job's done. It's finished. When that person is another believer, you need to call me up and bring them into my office and we'll sit down and get it resolved, or I'll thump some heads, one of the two. Because two believers ought to be able to work that out, and I'm not going to pay you doesn't fly. And, well, I could only do a terrible job doesn't fly. That's where you bring somebody who's a little more mature, a little more solid in the Lord, and you sit down and you say, look, let's work this out. Let's figure out a way so that this doesn't shame the name of the Lord. truth is we already have the Holy Spirit in us, right? We already have the mind of Christ, right? We have his word, correct? Shouldn't we be able to discern some of these things? I believe we can. That's who we are. I am just a, a citizen of heaven who's on an earthly hiatus right now. Think about it. That's who I really am. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's actually my home. That's what your Bible says, by the way. I'm a king's kid who happens to have a condo on earth. So, like I'm visiting my condo here on earth, but actually my real home is in heaven. So if my real home is in heaven with all of its glory and wonder and splendor and truth and righteousness and beauty... If that's my real home, I ought to be living my life like I'm still a citizen of heaven while I'm here. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, you ought to be able to figure these things out. You're a king's kid. That other person is a king's kid, king's daughter, king's son. And so he basically says, look, do you want carnal? Do you want spiritual? Which one do you prefer? He's trying to kind of shame them into recognizing the, the severity of the issue. So what do you want? Do you want a spiritual result or do you want a carnal result? Do you want one that's of the flesh or of the spirit? That's what he's saying. Because if you want what the flesh wants, we're to have nothing to do with the flesh. You realize that, right? Your Bible says, we are not supposed to live any longer after the dictates of our flesh, period. Doesn't mean we're always successful, but that is supposed to be the goal. 
So when we see things that are clearly the flesh, and you know how you know that? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. Here comes one you all hate, self-control. Another one you hate, patience. (laughs) You see, if your negotiations have none of those things in it, you're probably after the flesh. If all it is is anger and bitterness, vanity, maybe even some hatred, self-seeking, that's probably the flesh. Which do you want? Paul says, don't try and get spiritual things by going to the flesh. It'll never work. You can't do it. Subsequent to that, as as we're really looking at the last four verses here, what kind of witness is this for the church? Because people do find out. You ever notice how when something bad goes down, everybody knows? You all could invent a new artificial heart or something. Nobody's ever going to figure out who you are. But if you sue your neighbor over a block wall that's a foot on your property, and you're both Christians, oh, it, trust me, L.A. Times. <laughs> Two rotten, stinking Christians going at it again. What do you expect? Because that's what the devil does, Right? He sees his opportunity, and he shames the name of the Lord by saying the first thing is, well, they're Christians, but they couldn't get along. Because that's how the devil does stuff. In essence, they said here, is your cow worth more than your brother? Think about it. Is your cow worth more than your brother? Is your cow worth more than Jesus? Is your horse or your dog or your cat? You know, we could put this in all kinds of different time periods. Is your computer? Is your car? Is your car worth more than your brother? It's not to God, I can tell you that. Because he already owns all the cars. He doesn't like any of them. He doesn't need them. You ever notice, I, I never see God driving anywhere. He just is. Why do we care so much about things that he doesn't care about at all? And why do we not care about the things that he does care about, which is other people? He's called us to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates, and he loves people, and he hates conflict. He hates argumentation. He hates people who can't get along. Why? Because it destroys them and him. He answered all this. It's a simple thing. It's called humility. It's called being willing to say, you know, I was wrong. You may be right about the situation, but you can be wrong about the way you handle it. Anybody ever had that happen? Anybody in here ever had the facts all completely correct, but you handled it absolutely ungodly? I have. Telling you straight up. I got this nailed. I know everything I need to know. And then I say some dumb, silly thing that I shouldn't say. Maybe I react in a way that's not godly. 
Maybe I misrepresent the Lord and the severity of how I'm handling something. I've done it. But it takes humility to say, you know what, I was wrong. I was so wrong, I shouldn't have valued this thing over who you are as a, as a brother, as a sister. And so he says, basically to wrap all this up, most of the time, nobody is completely innocent. I've done an awful lot of arbitration and mediation in my day and time. And I can tell you truthfully before the Lord, I have not yet, I may, and I'm saying it is possible, I have not yet personally dealt with a situation to where one party was 100% wrong and the other party was 100% right. I haven't seen it happen. Oh, I've seen the 90-10s. I've seen the 80-20s, the 70-30s, the 60-40s. I've seen even close to 50-50. But I've not yet seen a truly innocent party, and here's why. Because usually what happens when somebody realizes that they're actually less guilty than the other person, the ugly P word comes up. They get prideful, arrogant, and lifted up like, you know, well, I'm completely righteous and this person's unrighteous. And before you know it, the Lord is losing, the, losing his character battle because of the way even righteousness is being portrayed. The only thing that stops that is humility. It's like, man, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, but for the forgiveness of God, I would be an exact, I could be on the other side of the equation like that. Like that. I, I could back out of my parking space and back into somebody's car. It'd be unintentional. But if that somebody is like, oh, it's Pastor Jeff. Have you seen the size of that church? Ka-ching! Well, they could say they're a brother. They could say they're a sister. And they can go to court. Oh, you know, my neck kind of hurts. My wallet kind of hurts. Let's put your neck and my wallet together and see if they can talk to each other. It's called Christ-centered mediation. You get somebody who loves the Lord that just stands in so nobody's emotions get involved. Can't you find somebody, Paul says, to take this to? There's a number of ministries that actually specialize in this, and I really strongly encourage you, if you ever get in a situation where there's something like this, there's a ministry called Peacemakers. That that's their specialty. They just mediate disputes between brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they'll sit you down and they'll keep going until there's no more going to go. May drive you crazy, but they will not let you off the hook until they can say that there was a peaceful situation that, that came from that arbitration. Use them. Use the pastors here on staff. It's part of what we're here for. Something happens, talk to a pastor. Sit down and say, look, this is what happened. These are the things as best I know. Don't just present the case. And, and see if there isn't some third-party arbitration that can happen. B 
because we are competent to judge these things. We are able by the Holy Spirit. We are able by the Word of God. We are able by the Spirit that dwells in us, the mind of Christ that we now have, to look at things correctly. If we'll stop and allow the Lord to work in that situation, God is able to handle it. I pray that we do. I pray that we don't shame the Lord. I pray that we use the principles that we find in Matthew 18. I love Galatians 6.1. And you who are spiritual, and you who are spiritual, if you find your brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest the next time you're the one in the hot seat. That's the Jeff Gill inspired version. You see, the next time it could be you. You see, lest you yourself also be tempted in like manner. That's the principle of Matthew chapter 18. Make sure that you're looking for restoration so that you can gain your brother back. That's the whole point of the first step. You want to gain your brother back. You don't want to lose your brother. Because Jesus said it best. He says, why don't you be merciful because I've given you my mercy. If we do that, the Lord gets the glory because the world says that can't happen. The world says you've got to go you know, take care of business. The Lord says, why don't you let me take care of that business so that my name is glorified. Amen? Why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Alex is going to come up. You got one to close with, Alex? Yeah. We'll pray and then we'll, we'll just close in song tonight. We're running close to the end of time. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are the world's best arbiter. Lord, that you can take the most difficult things and work them out. And Lord, as we seek to do that, as we listen to your voice and take our grievances before you instead of before the courts of this world. Lord, we we know that we can trust you to give a great result. Father, we want to deliberately put down the weapons of our flesh, whether it's a family conflict or some thing over some property. God, whatever it is, let us not shame you in the way that we handle it. God, we thank you for being so generous. We thank you that we live here in America. Lord, where if absolutely necessary, there is a court system there that we can go to. But we ask you to help us to solve the things in your house that we can solve in your house and to only go to court when it's the only way out. And so, God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that we are uh, inheritors of all things. And so they're actually already ours because they're already yours. Help us to hang on lightly to the things of this world and to trust you with everything. In Jesus' name, amen.